And as the theme tune fades away, that must mean you're listening to Brave New Words, brought to you with Starburst Magazine, Fab Radio International, and The Wonky Spammer. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. And that's it for now, because we have a team, or we have a huge team of skilled readers and professionals who are currently away fighting monsters. Some of them are up a mountain, some of them are in Canada, some of them are on the back of a moose. We'll not get into details, but I'm sure they'll tell you about it all at some point. This is a book show, and we're going to be talking about books. Coming up after this jingle, some book news. This is Fab Radio International. What a lovely jingle. I liked it. So, we, we have some bit news. So, Adrian Tchaikovsky, whose book Spiderlight we'll be reviewing very shortly. Excellent. Uh, won a Clark Award. Uh, for those who don't know what Clark Award is, um, it's a prize. It's fit, It's been running for 30 years. It's named after Arthur C. Clarke, the, that science fiction guy who you yep. may have heard of. Heard of him. Mm. Um... The Clark is called by some the the Booker for science fiction. It's just a good reading list. If you are like, oh, I've no idea what to read science fiction wise, just pull up this year's Clark Award list, pretty much, and I'll give you some good reads. Or last year's Clark Award list. It's a good selection of science fiction books, and it's a nice broad selection of science fiction books as well. Um, so yeah, uh, congratulations to Adrian, who is a friend of the show. Um, well done, you. Um, the ceremony was in London, and this is odd because almost everyone who was nominated for the award doesn't live in London, because most authors don't, because London's expensive. Been there, I know, yeah. So why are the Clark Awards still in London? Because, like, the publishing houses are there. Is that why? Possibly, but most lot, but it's not for the publishing houses, it should be for the general public, so put it where the general public can get to. A lot of trains and things into London. It is. I mean, it's a big place and it's got a big population. But I'm, I'm kind of just going to whinge slightly that it's always in London. If it's supposed to be a national award, surely it should be somewhere else every once in a while. That's fair. No, I, I think you know it's a fair criticism, and you could. I mean, you could put the Clark Award anywhere, and it does tend to turn up shortly after uh, the Worldcon. Talking of Worldcon, Worldcon has also happened. So N.K. Jem Jemison has won a Hugo Award. Well done, N.K. Jemison, for uh, your book, The Fifth Season. Uh, the Fifth Season of a single supercontinent filled with, uh, called The Stillness. It's uh, every every few centuries, its inhabitants endure what they call a fifth season of uh, catastrophic climate change. So it's a, it's a greenhouse effect novel. Um, interestingly, N.K. Jemison is one of those people who had a run-in with um, John Scalzi's substandard ne nemesis. Substandard. Substandard nemesis. Okay. As in, you know, low quality pound shop. Right. Uh Obiel, who is the guy who's behind the sad puppies. Okay. That idiot. Uh I think I think that's fair to call him an idiot. Never let it be said that the brave new words shies away from opinions. <laughs> well well he, he's an idiot, basically. He's gone I know, he was an established uh, world world class established award. Let's Use it as a tool for my self self promotion by rallying up the right wing. Um, and what will actually happen is the entire publishing industry will discount me. And it doesn't matter. He could he, tomorrow, Theodore Beale could write the best science fiction novel ever, and no one will read it because he's ruined his his blotter so thoroughly. 
Not that he will, because obviously the only reason he would do something like that is if you knew you were never going to get that, be that good. So, anyway, other winners included uh, Nindi Okafor's uh, novella Binti, uh, Hao Jin Fang's novelette Folding Beijing, and Naomi Kritzer uh, won uh, an award for a short story Cat Pictures, please. These are all Hugo Awards, so those are the rocket ship things that they give away mostly somewhere in North America. Right. Next year, they'll be giving them away in Helsinki because Worldcom is supposed to be worldwide. Um, the reason why you get a very varied set of nominees normally in normal circumstances with Worldcon is because it's called Worldcon. So There's a clue in the name. Somewhere. The clue is in the name. So what normally you get now, in fairness, Worldcon tends to be dominated by North Americans because it's a North American campaign. If you say, I mean, it's sort of off in North America and it's attended mostly by North Americans, but it tours around the world depending on various circumstances. This means that the people who vote, because it's the attendees of Worldcon events who vote for the Hugo Awards, yeah? Right. So what this means is this. You're well read because you spend large amounts of money every year going to a book convention. So it's fair to say that you're probably quite well, well read. Yep. You're probably well off because you can afford to spend a large amount of money going to a worldwide book convention and you buy books regularly. Following the logic so far. So you, you, you're you well healed, you're well read and you're well travelled. Yep. So your book choices are going to be of someone who's like that. Not saying that someone like that is better than the average bear or worse than the average bear. I'm just saying that that's going to lead to a diverse range of fiction choices. Because yep. you've seen more, you've experienced a chunk of stuff, so your tastes are likely to be broader. This is why the Hugo Awards are usually quite interesting, because these are people who are well, well-read, well-travelled, you know, well-heeled, uh, and typically people who are well-heeled are some sort of smart you know, if you have money, you tend to be some sort of, some sort of clever. Not necessarily clever, but either lucky or clever. Um, so that tends to mean that the, their book choices tend to be worth it, if you see what I mean. Um, but there's a reason why I've gone down that black hole. The John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer went to Andy Weir. We think that Andy Weir is a young man with lots of talent, and we hope that his, his next book gets more attention than the last one. The last book being The Martian. Ah, right. I mean, okay, catch you up at the back there, Ross. But what happened to that, eh? Obscure, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Anyway, so anyway, one one for The Martian. Uh, best fan cast didn't go to Brave New Words. What are you doing? Why aren't you voting for us? Um, were we the Brave New Words at the time? No, we were the Big Worm. Yeah. So, okay, that's why Brave New Words didn't win. Uh, well, no one won. Oh. It should have gone to Teen Jeopardy. Right. Um, they turned down the, their nomination because it had been it was on a sad puppy slate. Right. Uh, there was a whole load of other puppy things on there, so no one won because everyone voted no award. Right. No best fan cast. However, George Orwell Martin did award an Alfie Award to uh, the Teen Jeopardy team. So well done, Emma Newman and Pete Newman, for their Alfie uh, the Alfie is an award given by George Orwell Martin, personally given by George Orwell Martin, to anyone who really should have won a Hugo, Hugo Award according to the st- stats, but didn't because of interference. Fair enough. Good conversation. Um, of the other awards, the Clark and so on, 
avoided this kind of controversy until Yeah, then. the Clark's uh, a panel of judges. Publish, okay. Publishes, donate, um, nominate books. And then they go through they go through a long list and then go through a short list. Right. And um, the Gamels is partially controlled by public vote, but comes down to a private judge. It's public vote. No, it's a private nomination and the public vote. Right. So they nominate and then the public nominates. If you see what I mean. Um, I'll get on to that in a moment. Uh, other things in a moment. Um, so yes, sad puppies were spanked at the Hugo Awards, pretty much ignored. They've now changed the rules to make it harder for slate voting and manipulation to happen so um, goodbye to that nonsense pretty much talking popular vote Dragon Con Dragon Con is kind of like it's a bit like San Diego Comic Con ish right as in it's a popular multimedia genre event held in the states but it's not quite as famous as SDCC yet right okay but it's the same it's getting there so they've started a thing called the Dragon Awards which, I can see where they got the name. Unfortunately, they don't give them to dragons. It's not like you've been best dragon, best dragon in, in technologies. I want to be best dragon, best dragon in publishing. You know that'd be cool, like awards for dragons because dragons. Best flyer, best capture, best hoarder of gold. Well, this is the, be the problem, wouldn't it? Because like the dragon would be like, dude, I want to, I, 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 I hoard awards. Therefore, I have to win all of these dragon awards. I would give you this pile of golden thing, but. No, I'm going to sit on it. It's my nest. <laughs> but um, no, the Dragon Awards have uh, opened up nominees. That's a public vote. Okay. Uh, it's a public nomination. Can't see anything going wrong there. Sadly, some of those awards got dominated by the sad puppies, so the least said about that, the better. Yeah, but it's a public vote, so therefore you don't... You know, Whereas with the Clark and the Hugo, there's going to be stuff there that you maybe, maybe have missed. Hmm. Um, with the, you know, well... With the Hugo, typically, people who are really into it are like, oh, I can predict this. With people who aren't, are like, oh, right, okay, I'm you know, casual sci-fi fans. Whereas with the Clark, it's very much, uh, oh, right, it ha- showcases UK-based science fiction, so that's right. kind of cool. Um, tweet this at Radio Bookworm, hashtag, haha, you're wrong, Fortune. Um, but spell your wrong, because if you put an apostrophe in the hashtag, it breaks it. It's really annoying. You can spell it with an E. Yeah, you're... Spell it you are. You are wrong fortune. Hashtag you are wrong fortune. You can do that generally. Ursula K. Le Guin. She, Ursula Le Guin, she of excellent science fiction novels and excellent novels in general. And the Wizard of Ursi has been entered into the Library of America. Now, the reason this is weird... Right. ...is because normally to get into the Library of America you have to be dead. Okay. It's not a rule. It's just well, science fiction. There's there's possibilities. I suppose. I haven't considered that Ursula Le Guin might be an AI. Maybe she's an Ansible machine. That's still like transmitting. I heard that as answer machine. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> so very similar. Uh, maybe she's like you know. Maybe she's the Ansible and become a. This is very obscure. Let's let's get away from. Anyway, Ursula Le Guin has been entered into the Library of America. You don't have to be dead. It's as traditionally you are. Right. It's like stamps. Yeah. Okay. It's that sort of thing. Library, Library of America is a, a non-profit organisation. They produce these beautifully tightly bound, um, black-covered only, very durable, because they're designed to be durable, books. And the idea behind them is that if you're in the Library of America, uh, you're never out of print. 
the Foundation Foundation exists to keep you in print in in perpetuity. Okay. Perpetually. So it's a lovely idea. Are these the kind of people who will end up on the American equivalent of GCSE papers? Sort of thing. It's, right. It's, it's the considered American classics. Right, okay. And everyone that, you know, Steinbeck, Hungary, everyone that you'd expect to be in there is in there. Okay. Um, and, a, and Le Guin has been added. Oddly enough, the book Complete Orsina has been added, which is a collection of his songs and short stories, rather than hand, The Left Hand of Darkness, which is the science fiction novel that we know her for, or The Wizards of Earthsea, Earthsea, which is, you know, again... Oh, so it's not... The works of this author, it's a specific classic. Right. Can and you be entered more than once? In yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they, they, they obviously, because they have to keep. Because it's a perpetual print, they don't put lots of people in. Right. Because you, you wouldn't. Yeah. How long has this been going? It's been uh, a lot of things by now. Since the 70s, so a while now. I think it's older than me, so as a, and I'm quite old. Um, yeah, I think it's older than me, so uh, yeah, I'm pretty old. I'm getting old. I'm getting older. Speculation on Ed Fortune's age to the same address as previous. At Radio Bookworm, uh, you can also find us on Facebook. You can also send a letter to Starburst Magazine at letters at starburstmagazine.com. Uh, your subject header should be Ed Fortune needs a pay rise. It'll work one of these days. <laughs> so. <laughs> Right, Francis Harding's Cuckoo Song, optioned for movie. Yay, Francis! You know, about two years ago, I was like, why isn't Francis Harding more famous? And now, like, pow, yes, she is. So, well done, Francis, well done. Um, so, uh, yeah, she's a long time show of, of Brave New Words. Um, so, Peter and Wendy produces Catalyst Global Media. I never saw Peter and Wendy, but I hear it's excellent. Have optioned uh, the Arnold Noble Cuckoo Song. Cuckoo Song is the one where the char- main character is called Tris, and she wakes up, and it's like kind of it's, uh, it's I think it's Edwardian period. So World War One's happened, right? World War Two is yet to happen. Um, her brother had vanished in World War One. It kind of shattered the family, and it's her and her sister Pen, and Tris wakes up one morning and goes. I feel hungry. And then she eats, like, some shoes or something. She eats, like, something you wouldn't normally eat. Like, whole. One of Triss's kind of things, she just eats. So it's devouring stuff, or her belongings, sort of thing. Um, And it gets weirder from that point on. Okay. When her sister, Penelope, is like, I don't like you. I've never liked you. And runs away, sort of thing. And it gets weirder from that point on. Not you're eating my stuff, but I don't like you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's not eating Penelope's stuff. She's just eating things like Paul uh, object. She doesn't eat. Does she eat Penelope? Is that a spoiler? Mm. Does she eat a whole person? Could she eat a whole person? Uh, find out by reading Cuckoo Song. We reviewed it ages ago. We love it to pieces. It's really weird. It's one of those books that about halfway through you realise that this story would be entirely different if it was told from the perspective of someone else. Um, it's very cleverly done. It's actually a fairly standard fantasy trope story, just written from an entirely different angle, which is absolutely gorgeous. And it's Frances Harding, so it's irresistible writing because she's damned charming. Can't wait to see it on the screen. 
and that's that's com when it comes to when it becomes compulsive Christmas telly viewing, which it will be, you should watch it. Um, I've got to imagine this. This got to be CGI, otherwise the casting call for that. Must, you know, actress must be able to eat shoes whole. Well, it's going to be CGI, but uh, yeah. I mean, casting Tris, you want someone who's thin and you know on that cusp. If you see them into 15, 14, right, that yeah. sort of age. Because um, Penn's much younger, but you've got that balance between child actor and, and getting the performance just right, if you see what I mean. Yes. Um, Girl with All the Gifts has a follow-up. It's going to be called The Boy in the Bridge. Nick some Dell's on the show, and she'll, she'll be getting very excited. And um, at some point, we will talk about the Terry Pratchett Small Gods Folio Society novel, because we like talking about Folio Society novels. We do. We've done that a couple of times. Uh, we'll have one. We'll have one for you soonish, I think. Um, and that's it for book news. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, nine PM till eleven PM, exclusive to Fab Radio International. That was a jingle. Excellent. So, um, obviously, obviously, whatever that jingle told you to do, you should do, unless it was weird, in which case you shouldn't. Um, I've got a book in my hand. This is not an unfrequent occurrence. So, Adrian Tchaikovsky, he winner of the Clark Award. Uh, Children of Time, by the way, it has sentient spiders in it. Because that's what the world really needed. Yeah. Um, his very long-running Shadows of the App series has an entire tribe of people who are spiders. Does he like spiders? This book is called Spider Light. I sense a theme. Yeah. So Adrian likes spiders, and if you don't like spiders, you might like spiders by the end of this book. Uh, unless you walk into a room and there's a spider in there and it you know, paralyses you, in which case, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're probably not going to read this. Uh, he did jokingly uh, say that he would do a reversion of this called Kitten Light. Uh, the, the, where you know instead of spiders he replaced it with the word kitten but so by the end of it you like kittens yes but unfortunately it does make the first three chapters kind of violent towards kittens uh, poor kittens do the kittens fire webs yeah they're, they're web firing they're, they're web firing uh, tree climbing um, eight legged kittens eight legged kittens I sense a novel <laughs> well Adrian's already written it it's called Kitten Light um, is that just a you know, copy paste? Copy paste. Re no, sorry, replace all. I mean, <laughs> replace all. Red, red spider for kitten. Um, so the setup is this: we have a D and D style adventuring party. Okay. So you've got a uh, priestess of Armes, Ar who's the, the the god of light. Yep. Um, you've got a wizard. Okay. Who's a wizard. You've got a rogue. He's spelled differently. No, he's just a proper wizard. Okay. Uh, he's a very powerful Oh, he's a hard wizard. Yeah, he's a very powerful wizard. He's okay. got, like, you know, he's, he's a proper reality bending dude rather than just, like, come chuck fireballs around. He really likes throwing fireballs, though. Much rather. Not a proper wizard, unless you can throw a fireball. Much rather throw fireballs than do anything else. There's a really charming scene in it, he said, getting ahead of himself, where he's like, bunch of flowers, and they're made out of fire. Because fire, fire is cool. Uh, Fireflowers. Fireflowers. Let's say it with burning death. Why not? Um, as the main character is Princess of Armes, um, we have a rogue type character 
who's like kind of casual thief style style dude. We have a ranger um, who you know she's she's pretty cool, and then we have a your know, kind of knight idiot character as well. Okay. So what happens is they all creep into into the forest. The first chapter is called Mountwood Blues, which gives you a rough idea as to where we're going with this. And Dion, who's our, our priestess of light, charges them in, and they ma- they're they're a D and D they're our level D and D style adventuring party. So they're just massacring the, their way through these spiders, and chopping and crunching their way through. They get to um, the Spider Queen, who's all spidery and queeny. Yeah, and they're like, right, there is a prophecy. There is there is a Dark Lord over in the Darklands. We want to kill him. Because we're the followers of the light. Yep, light, dark, natural opposite. Yep. Um, obviously, the prophecy requires stability, stability, stability of of, of the dark lord. But the only, fireballs. The only thing that can well, the only thing that can pierce is his immortal grace. Apparently, um, is spider fang from the spider spider queen. Right. And it requires a spider's fang and a spider's path. Right. So you need a spider to show you the way to the Dark Lord. And you need fangs. So the, the queen goes, right, um, help one of my fangs. Chop. Ow. There you go. Yep. Stop killing my children, you horrible monsters. Um, and I'm very sorry, but that one, my my one of my beloved spider lieutenants, generals, you can have him. He'll show you the way. Uh, this spider is called Enf, as in the Enf spider. Right. Um, and he's like, oh, okay, eh, um, uh, uh, yes, my queen. And the, the queen goes, right, here, is, here are my memories. Here is a lump of my memories. Pulled okay. out of my brain into your soul. They'll, they'll digest over time. So they'll, they'll eventually unravel. Um, and off they go, and they're like, okay, well, we've appeared to acquire the spider, which is a creature of darkness. Sense darkness! Oh, it's behind. The I heroes see. decided we should definitely follow this prophecy rather than... We were doing so well against these spiders. Well, yes. Obviously, it's the, the spider queen is the one who's come up with this prophecy. That sounds... N- no, no, the, it's a prophecy from their light priests. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, they, 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 can rot, they can kill all the spiders, but then the prophecy won't come true, so... And it sucks. sounds like it's something you'd want to come true. Yeah. Okay. So, so off they go, and they've acquired a spider called Enf. So they're they're pet wizard. Um, they're like, well, here is a problem because you know it's the the wizard's called Penfoss, and he's like, well, called <laughs> Penfoss. Okay. Penfoss is like, well, problem. We can't go into the tavern with a spider. Right. Really upset people. And the spider's like, man, I don't mind. Uh, they, they can't really speak to it because it's a spider at all. So it, it's sentient and it can communicate telepathically with other spiders and it can like do the thumb thing on the spider webs to communicate to other spiders. How big is this spider? Oh, it's a giant spider. Oh, okay. It's like a man-sized spider. Right. It's huge. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have telepathy. It just does the thumb thing. It like uses vibrations on the webs to talk to other spiders. So the spider's... Like, well, 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 what are you going to do? And Pepos is like, I'll cast a spell! Magic will solve it. So they get find the magical nexus point. Get the spider. And Penfoss, who's a very proud man, is like, this is my best work. Pow. Create 
a new being, right? Called N, who is with an E rather than an N. Um, who has N has eight eyes still. He's tall and he's grey skinned or greyish, if you see what I mean. Right. But if you give him a hat and some dark glasses, he can pass for human. Okay. He's a pretty weird looking human, but he can pass for human. And in this world, there's lots of weird fantasy creatures wandering around with, like, you know, horses' heads and this sort of nonsense. So, you know, people will look at them and go, it's probably some sort of weird magical experiment going wrong. Cool. Far from the truth, man. Yeah. And during the spell, Penfoss also goes, Here are some of my memories, so you know what a fork is for. Pump. And you can understand human language more clearly. And this sort of thing. Beer as a concept. And this is the setup for Spiderlight. Right. So we have this typical adventuring party. And one of the things that Adrian does is he sits down and he goes, What is good? What is evil? Who says that the darkness is evil? Who says that the light is evil, is good? Yeah. Why? Why? What decision has this world come to to make this world this way? Yeah. Why is there constant war and struggle over resources? Why? 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 Why are spiders regarded as innately evil? There's a magic spell that you can cast that will send darkness, but all that will do is it will detect creatures of a roster. Right. That are specifically bad creatures, or regarded by the the servants of the light as bad. This is the list. This is part of the spell. The the um, one of the interesting kind of perspectives is that, and as far as he's concerned, the humans are encroaching everywhere, and the humans are winning. But as far as the humans are concerned, they're losing in the war against the darkness. So both sides are convinced they're not winning. Right. Which is interesting. Because one of them's going to be winning, surely. Well, there's the dark people who aren't the spiders. Maybe, but maybe they've just got different jobs. Um, there is a dark lord. The yep. dark lord is—he's the dark described as the dark lord of this generation. Right. Yeah, it keeps being dark lords. Okay. In the dark lands, someone comes along, becomes a dark lord. And typically, they used to be a priest of the light, or a wizard of the light, or some other associated thing of the light. They get a bit miffed, and off they go. What Adrian has written in Spider-Light is, on the front of it, a standard fantasy adventure novel. Okay. Party of adventurers. Off they go. Kill some bad guys. What he's also done is he's written a story about the morality of adventuring. And there's, a t- there's a term in uh, D&D role-playing called murder hobos. Um, murder hobos are literally de- it's a way of describing a D&D party they wander around killing orcs looting them and generally being monstrous but they're the heroes because they say they are and who are you to argue with the people with the swords and the fireballs exactly so um, one of the things he does really nicely um, is so we've got a relationship of we've got Dion who's the ranger and we've got Leaf um, it's a name I absolutely adore, so general name and general, uh, you know. Leaf is a thief, rogue, he's kind of been drafted into it, and he's kind of the voice of reason. Um, the bad guy, the Dark Lord, is called Dorfesian, obviously. And the Paladin kind of warrior character is called Hurafes. 
Huvaf is. Huvaf is is an idiot, but he's also male privileged, like made form. If you right. say, I mean, in his own head, he is the hero, and he keeps trying to. Essentially, he slept with Sirene once, and he's not got over it. Okay. Uh, and Sirene's like, oh, you know, you, you know, for the light's sake, just get over it, sort of thing. Is he on this party because he won't stop following her around or something? He's on this party because it's the right thing to do, and he's the. Do you know? Do you know what he is? He Futurama. What's Ca- Captain Zap Brannigan? Right. He's Captain Zap Brannigan, pretty much. Um, and brilliantly, Tchaikovsky uses this character to basically put the boot in to certain sort of male hero characters who always get their girl, and it's glorious to watch. Because the boot needs to be firmly put into that sort of nonsense. Good stuff. Uh, it's great stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, Enf is a nice character. You like him, he's, but he's a spider. He's a spider that's been torn from his home by by the good guys so they can take down the bad guy. And now, because he's been permanently and magically transformed, he can never go home. Oh, God, right, okay, I... He, there's it, no yeah it's not a disguise it's a this is he's been he is transformed now. yeah um, and maybe maybe Penfoss can put him back Penfoss isn't sure <laughs> like, you can put me back yeah uh, yeah but why would I want to you're beautiful the way you are because uh, and so on hmm. so yeah I mean one of the cool things about Enf as well is the fact that even though he has a language he doesn't really ponder he hasn't had a no- he, he's only as a new being he's only a few days old so he's not had time to consider existential angst and sp- spiders don't sit around going oh I wonder what the reason of being is because the reason of being is serve the queen or get eaten it, yeah. it's not a complex life they have hmm. you know there's maybe the spider music and spider, spider art Adrian doesn't explore it's got the spider art surely with webs and stuff but yeah I was thinking you think of spiders as sitting on webs but they don't they, they, they go don't. everywhere. They, they, they get on with stuff. I mean, they, they? Webs. Yeah, but maybe maybe there is geometric art, but certainly certainly Tchaikovsky doesn't doesn't explore this angle or Ben's personality where he spends some time with a paintbrush. That ain't happening. Um, as a setup for a series, I'd love to see more of this world. Okay. Um, as a series of twists and turns, it's a twist and turny thing. Uh, it doesn't have a strong geometric geometric progression. Right. Like you'd expect from a spider web. See, see what I've done there. Um, badly. Uh, and yeah, um, I really liked it. I really, I mean, uh, as an introduction to Adrian Tchaikovsky's work, if you want to see what the fuss is about, this is very accessible. You'll tear through it in about a day. I might do that. Um, because it's aimed at a kind of light readership. It does have a pop of the fantasy genre, so if you're into the fantasy genre, you'll love it. Um, it's less comedy, but it is funny. Um, is the title a pun? Is it sort of this is Spider Light, but L I T E as uh, well as L I G H T E? I think because the major factions are the light and the dark. Yeah, and the spider is a creature of the dark. It's not a pun, but am I reading it wrong? Um, it could be. I don't know actually. Uh, it's an interesting name because there isn't actually there isn't a thing called the Spider Light. Right. In it, it's just the, the tale of a monster of a monster that's got got gotten turned into a human-like being. 
and now has to work out what beer's for and how to go shopping. At some point, even though it's not in the novel, I would imagine there's a scene that Enfys trying to work out what taxes are for. And kind of, hmm. um, I just got paused on the moment of Spire getting legless. But... Oh, he does as well, he gets drunk. Oh, Apologies to all of our listeners, particularly those of you who were driving at that moment. Oh, that's terrible. What is it like? Would he not just be a P at this point? There's lots of eyes and slightly annoyed expression. Just curled up on it. Not dancing, but curled up. <laughs> there used to be the, the there used to be a, there's a very simple uh, meditation. If you don't like spiders, um, but you're not terrified of them, so you don't like you know you've not got well, like a full on blown condition, but you just don't like them and you find them creepy. Um, there is a meditation that is imagine a spider. Right. The way that you would imagine a spider. Now give it a clown hat. Okay. Now give it ice skates. <laughs> now put it on some ice. <laughs> now imagine look at its face. It's like you hurt look at its face. Now you've given it ice skates. You've told it to do some so to try and move around. Um you can do the same with roller skates. You can also do the same with roller skates in the Benny Hill theme. <laughs> Coordination. Poor wee things. So uh, so that's Spotlight by Adrian Tchaikovsky, and it's rather good. Coming up next, we have a conversation with an author. Excellent. Oh, Paddy O'Gillen, welcome to uh, Brave New Words. Brilliant. So, uh, tell us about the call. Okay, so um, the call, I, I often describe it as sort of like a Harry Potter where everybody dies. Um, it's, it's a YA book. It's um, heavily based on Irish mythology. Um, and I add in a bit of science fiction as well because I'm, I'm a science fiction author, I suppose most of your readers are. Um, and it's basically kind of like a, a Schrodinger's cat situation where people, mostly teenagers, will randomly disappear. And they disappear for exactly three minutes and four seconds. And everybody who sees them disappear knows that they will come back um, after a short period of time and they know that more than likely they're going to be dead when they return and probably horribly mutilated. Yeah, so they, they come back mutilated or a very small percentage of them come back alive. And if they were all definitely dead, there'd be no tension in the story. But I think the tension comes from the chance that, that, you know, that somebody might survive it. And that's what keeps the people looking at their watches while the three minutes and four seconds are winding down. So, where does an idea like that come from? Um, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, you know, you go out for long walks and you're thinking, and you know, like, you know, uh, Terry Pratchett had this idea of these tiny little particles of inspiration that used to hit people randomly. Um, and I just, I just had this idea of somebody disappearing, and kind of an image of somebody in the middle of a room disappearing, and all their clothing falls to the floor, and everybody knows something appalling is about to happen to them um, and, and it was just that that was the first thing that hit me and then I had to figure out well where do they go and for that I kind of turned to Irish mythology but I also kind of um, twisted the mythology quite a lot um, in the original stories um, the Irish drove out the people who lived in Ireland before them this is thousands of years ago those were the, the people of the goddess Danu was their name. And there are lots of ideas of where they went 
And one of the ideas is that they went to the land of youth. And another idea is that they went to a place called the Blessed Isles. But I mean, we're all adults. And, and we know that when one group of people drives another out, they always go somewhere terrible. You know, like the Trail of Tears in America. They always go to the really, really bad, horrible land that nobody wants. So when I was designing a place for um, the people of the goddess standing to go, um, I basically designed a hell for them, a place I called the Grey Land. And I wanted to make it as stomach-churning and horrific as possible. So, why, what is the appeal as a writer of the genre of horror for you? Why horror? Um, I think it's, I think it's a bit like, um, I look at it as, as a sort of roller coaster situation. You know, when you're in a roller coaster and you're in one of these really extreme modern ones and you're flying down this slope that's almost 90 degrees and your entire body thinks you're going to die. You know, maybe your mind knows better, but your body thinks you're going to die, and it's sending all these panic messages, and people all around you are screaming, and your stomach is churning, and your head is spinning. And then you get to the bottom, and then you get to the end, and you're alive, and it's just this feeling of elation. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's more, you know, for the feeling of elation at the end, rather than the, the, the horror in the middle of it. I think people who... Um, don't like horror books, um, hate the, the hate the terror more than they like the elation, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm certainly the, the opposite kind. So, what, for you, what is the perfect horror story? What is your, your favourite spooky tale? What makes you scared? Um, very little actually makes me scared, um, unfortunately, and very little grosses me out. Um, I think horror is a little bit like chili. You know, that you, the very first time you try it, it burns your mouth. Um, but gradually you kind of like that. And you start adding in more and more and more. Um, and it actually takes more for you to be able to taste it, for you to be able to enjoy a curry or, or, or whatever it is you're eating. Um, when I was... Uh, when I was uh, in school, my father was a surgeon, and he, I don't know how he wrangled this, but he, he got me a job in the hospital one summer cleaning up after operations. And when I did that for a while, it just didn't bother me anymore. It took a lot more of that kind of thing to bother me. Um, so very little scares me. It takes something quite extraordinary to scare me, uh, usually. Some books I've, I've really enjoyed... Um, would be Peter Stroud's Ghost Story, for example. Um, and there's a, a UK guy, Adam Neville, you're probably very familiar with mm. him. Um, he writes fantastic horror, I think. Um, and his book, The Ritual, was great, not just for being a scary book, for, but for being a tense book all the way through. And also his most recent one, Lost Girl, I think is, is fantastic as well, because one thing that does scare me um, is you know, environmental collapse. The the response to the call has been remarkably po positive so far. Um, what's next? Um, well, what's next is um, I'm doing a sequel to the call, um, of course. Um, I mean that's basically done now. I mean we're having final edits going on at the moment, so I'm sure that will drag on for a few months of you know more little things needing to be fixed, cropping up every now and again. But that's that's basically done. 
Um, so what I'm excited about, which I presume is what you're asking, because you know, what's next? What are you, <laughs> what are you looking forward to doing? Um, there's another book I've, I've written that hasn't been seen yet um, called Lost Continent, which is kind of like, um, it's less hard, definitely not very horrific, except in a few small places. It's, it's basically like, you know the way um, a lot of fantasies are set in an alternate Western Europe? Um, I mean, it's not Western Europe, it's definitely not that, but it's something containing, you know, things like knights and swords and, and that kind of thing, and elves and so on, things that we would be familiar with. Um, and then you get others that are set in alternate medieval Japans or alternate ancient Romes and so on. Um, my book, Lost Continent, um, is set in an alternate 1970s Africa. So it's not Africa, but it's this kind of continent that's where colonial powers are leaving, where, um, you know, you've got kind of, um, how should I describe it, where you've got, um, nothing very coherent, am I? <laughs> um, where you have, it would be a very traditional fantasy story. Except instead of a king, you'd have a president for life, for example, with a chest full of medals. You know that kind of thing? Yeah. And um, instead of wizards, you'd have sort of witch doctors um, and so on. Um, and it's got this magic system that I absolutely adore and I'm dying for people to see. So that's what I'm excited about at the moment, I think. Uh, outside of the world of books, what sort of, um, what sort of movies and films and music uh, really get you going? Back to the call there, um, it's, it's call premise is essentially is, is abduction, uh, which is of course one of the scariest things about fairy stories. Is that a fundamentally um, a fundamental core trope of Irish mythology, and is does that make the call a kind of uniquely Irish perspective story, or am I overreaching and looking for stuff that isn't there? Well, you're, you're 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 looking for stuff that is there. I mean I mean, the whole idea of, of changelings is, is very strong in Irish mythology. I mean, there was a guy who, who uh, murdered his wife in the 1800s, and his defense in court was that, he, that she was a changeling. Like, and he actually hoped someone would believe him. <laughs> um, so the idea was that they, with changelings, is um, that they abduct someone, usually children, and replace them by, you know, something that looks the same, but is actually a sociopath-type person, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's quite common. Even Yeats, who was uh, a real student of uh, Irish mythology, one of his most famous poems is The Stolen Child, you know, which is all about the fairies seducing a child to come away with them, you know? So it's, it's, it's definitely a very common thing. 
Um, on to the, the slightly sillier questions. If you could um, save one work of art, um, book, movie, TV, painting, whatever it was, and it would outlast mankind by you saving it, what would it be? Um, you know, the first one that comes to my mind, um, I'm sure there are far, you know, far more popular things and better things, but it would probably be, um, it would probably have to be I, Claudius by Robert Graves. Um, I absolutely adore that book. I absolutely adore it. Um, and I go back to it every few years. And, and you can see, if you read any of my work, which is nowhere near at the level of Robert Graves, if you read anything I, I read, you can see very, very obvious influences, you know, from, from that. And obviously the sequel, Claudius the God, but, but mainly the first one, I Claudius, you can see very obvious influences in everything I write from that. I have to ask, actually, what do you think of the classic 70s BBC adaption? I really love it. I, I, I love it. It's not, uh, it's not one of these slavish adaptions. It's got, uh, or adaptations, I should say. It's got loads of, um, loads of extra scenes um, that, that seems to have been written especially for the, for the TV series, and it really works. I mean, obviously, you, you have, uh, you know, the Emperor walks into the, into the Circus Maximus, and you can see the sets, you know, uh, moving in the breeze behind them. <laughs> <laughs> to meet yourself at age 16 for one minute, what would you say to yourself? Yeah, um, well a lot of that would be private, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I guess um, my, my, I would say go for it, basically is what I would say, you know, whatever it is, just go for it, don't, don't hang back, because I'm a hanger dapper, basically I am, and I'd say, you know, try, try a different approach this time, just go for it. Uh, and um, some very silly quick fire questions just to finish off. Um, Simpsons or Futurama? Um, long term Simpsons, I think. Um, dwarves or elves? Uh, dwarves. Um, magic or science? Science. Um, the gross out or the subtle chill? Um, a fair question. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say the gross out. <laughs> Uh, and finally, truth or beauty? Um, truth. Thank you very much for coming on Breaking New, New Words. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hands. You ask for it. That was a conversation with an author. Good stuff. Uh, if you want to appear on our show and you are a writer, publisher, a juggler of books, you're somehow involved in the book trade and you want to be on the show, get in touch. Again, it's... Um, guess it's at Radio Bookworm on Twitter. You can also find us on the secret, the Brave New Words Secret Book Club on Facebook. You can get in touch with me personally at, at Ed underscore Fortune on the Twitters. And if you do none of that nonsense, you can also find me at, at ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com. Um, 
So I think that's pretty much the show. So uh, it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. It's goodbye from Ross. Thank <laughs> you.